Hey everyone, welcome to the 13th episode of the Luminous Arts Podcast. Steven Lieberman is a longtime friend and inspiration of mine. He's a lighting designer whose work is world-renowned in the festival stage and high-end nightclub arenas. I met Steven back in the early 2000s when I was working with Vela Burkhouse at the Ultra Music Festival in Miami. Since then, we've kept in touch and I've always been inspired by the work that he does. I really enjoyed this conversation as it was a rare opportunity for me to talk about the art of stage lighting design. Steven gets it. He's been doing it for 25 years, and that's the world I came from when I was younger. Using light as a medium is kind of an arcane art form, and there are very few people that I have the opportunity to talk to that are steeped in the practice. Steven is a true creative, and his work is at the pinnacle of the stage design industry. This is one of my favorite conversations to date, and I think you'll like it too. This podcast isn't very formal as far as podcasts go. It's not sponsored by anyone. It's paid for by Digital Ambience, the company I founded. It's a personal project. On a side note, we've spent the last few months getting our product line ready for launch. It's been on the agenda for a long time. There's just never been enough free time to properly develop the website and all the other materials necessary to do it right. The premise is simple. We've taken the best examples of the tools, fixtures, and software that we've used and created over the years for one-off installations, and we're making them available to you for use in your own projects. One of my favorite parts of the site is the custom LED configuration tool, which allows you to customize LED strip to your precise needs, demystifying the myriad of chipsets, electrical parameters, and pixel types available. This is something that we've been doing in our own projects for a long time, working with our manufacturing partners in China to get exactly the right product made for the project that we're working on. I've never seen this offered on anyone else's website, so I think it'll be a great resource for the community. Check it out at digitalambience.com products Drop us a line if you have any questions about your projects. I, I want to introduce you first because I don't know if everybody, the the audience that I that I speak to normally is uh, very much in the, the the light art and new media art scene. And okay. um, for people who don't know, you're a you're, you're a stage designer. I mean, is that how you describe yourself? You know what? Uh, it depends on the day and what hat I have to put on. But you know, when I started doing this in the early '90s. I was a lighting designer and then mm. that turned into a, a stage and production designer. And then it turned into um, kind of a networking programming operator, stage designer, production designer, scenic designer, um, production manager. I don't know. It just depends on the day. Uh, man of it's funny. many hats. It's, I always make it. I always, I always make uh I always make the observation that a successful lighting designer has to be a network engineer first. Absolutely. That's like, that's like one of the bedrock skills in this industry, no matter yeah. what you're doing at this point. I think to find success in any industry, you need to be able to evolve and roll with the punches. You can't just stay still. So, oh, yeah. you know, whilst my company name is SJ Lighting and I've had people say, well, why is it just SJ Lighting? I go, that's just because that's what we called it years and years ago. Um, but we are so far from doing just lighting. I mean, at yeah. a minimum, it's lighting and video and control systems and, you know, and everything that goes with it. We've done full scenic environments, you know, things similar to like uh, what you've been, how you've been expressing yourself creatively, like building custom chandeliers and, you know, all sorts of art treatments and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, you can call me whatever you want. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's always been inspiring to to look at your work, man. It's it's definitely Likewise. you know I, I, I met you I met you through uh, Vela Verkhouse actually through That's the right. Ultra Festivals and yep. uh, back in like early two thousands you guys were working together on the Ultra Ultra Festival That's series. Right. That's right. Yeah, is that how you started out or what? what how did you start? I, start, out in I started industry? in nightclubs, um, and actually from a pretty young age I started in nightclubs uh, back in the mid eighties when I was a young teenager and yeah. not doing anything related to what I do now, not nothing technical. I was washing glass and, and, you know, mopping the floors and doing whatever I could just because I really liked that kind of that niche of the, of the hospitality world and nightlife and the excitement and that scene. And that evolved, you know, after going to college and, wasting my time studying things that I was never going to use. Um, <laughs> right. You got to do it though. You got to yeah, do it. I made it. a hard left and, <laughs> yeah. you know, went into the design side of nightlife. So it was always yeah. nightclubs and that evolved into the dance music scene and raves. And that moved into ultra music festival. Like 
I think my first ultra was 99 or 2000, which was my, my first ultra was ultra two. So I think that was 2000. It's the first time I did ultra. And, and that was Miami, right? That was, that ultra was Miami. when it was still on the beach in Miami. Yeah. Now, um, only about 5,000 people. And the production manager at the time, this guy, Terry McNeil, he called me out of the blue. I, it was like an article about some shitty nightclub I did in New York. And, uh, and he emailed me, I think, you know, and I probably had like either an AOL address or it was like ix.netcom.com <laughs> or whatever terrible email address I had. And he hit me up. He's like, you know, Hey, I hear you think you're hot shit. You know, you want to, you know, he was such a, he was a real smart ass, you know, you want to come down to Miami and, you know, do a show. I was like, yes, if you're buying, I'm flying. And uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I'll come to Miami and do a show. I was already doing, dabbling a little bit of work in Miami at the time anyway. You know, we did yeah. a bunch of work for Crowbar and a bunch of the other clubs at that time. So I was like, I'm down to come rock it. Let's do it. And Miami is such I spent, an interesting scene. I spent 18 years with them. I, I resigned my position with Ultra in 2017. It was just kind of irreconcilable differences. And 18 years seemed to be long enough that's a good run man and besides years if you're doing one thing for 18 years it's like you've done it man you're you mastered that what's the next step you know what i mean yeah Uh, listen you know if some things go i've been with uh insomniac for 20 they would just you know we had there was some creative differences we didn't see things the same way it's their company it's not mine and uh i mean they didn't think i was going to do it um but i was like guys you know what my my mental state of mind is critical to my well-being. Yeah. So yeah, man. We, that, that is I, the key, right? Yeah, that is I mean, the, it's got to be there, first. There was no, I mean, we weren't like cursing at each other. It was just like, don't book me any more plane tickets. Um, yeah. Not, don't ask me for any more services. I wish you the best. Well, listen, man, that's the best way you could break a relationship off is before right. it gets to the point where it's where it's poisoned or that's where right. there's there are irreconcilable differences. Just like you know what, I'm gonna try something else now. Yeah. So, so Insomniac, you have been doing EDC for a very long time, right? Yep. I mean, that's that's another Almost one. Almost just as long since, like, so I started doing Ultra in 2000, EDC 2001, and I'm still with them. So this would have been my 19th year. Yeah. How have those stages evolved? They're, I'm sure they've gotten just crazy. Well, much I can more tell complex. you, you know, so back when I started with them, I was the only stage designer for Insomniac because, and back then. You know, 20 years ago, uh, production designers and stage designers, if they were picking up big jobs, they weren't in the dance music world. There was no money in dance music. You know, they yeah. were trying to pick up rock tours or corporate and industrial events, you know, like large format stuff. You know, rock and roll was, that was the cat's meow. Everybody needed to have a rock and roll gig. And they you thought know I was touring. a schmuck. It, it was still, it was still all rock and roll. Like electronic music was even in like the early 2000s, there was very little money in, in EDM. Right. So just to give you an idea, like EDC back in those days, you know, we would have seven to 10 stages. And I think my total budget for all of it might have been 200, 200 to $250,000. Mm. I spend yeah. that on labor on one stage in Vegas now. You know, like, right. like the stages I'm responsible for, even the techno stage, you know, I'm spending half a million plus you know, the big so what, cir- circuit grounds is multi- multiple millions of dollars just for circuit grounds. And then you right. get to the main stage. That's, you know, just in the scenic elements, you know, the spend is the spend is huge. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the element that I'm most interested in. Honestly, it's like the, where the scenic and the lighting meet. Yep. So it's like it's kind of like the sculptural lighting element um, and the, the stage design. Right. So you're still you're doing that as well, though, right? You're, you're designing the entire layout. Um, it. Yes, whatever stages we're responsible for, we design everything. Yeah. We don't do the main stage at EDC. We haven't done that in several years. That's a, you know, like a, a very scenic company. That's, that's what they specialize in. They, they do, you know, outside of the dance, music, culture, and festivals, they do, they are a scenic design firm. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's their thing. And my office, you know, I would say um, we, we've done lots of scenic designs, but that's not the primary. We are production design, stage design, we're lighting designers. So probably a little bit more edgy, a little bit more, you know, techno style yeah, right, environments right. and not really that ethereal, softer, you know, theatrical. 
part. And that's not, that's just, I mean, you know me a long time now. That's not my personality. Anyway, my personality is knife edge. Yeah. You know, it's an, it's an aesthetic, you know, yeah. it's an aesthetic that expresses itself through design. Right. And, uh, and that's cool. It, it's funny how on the West coast, you see a lot of like the Coachella, the, uh, the do lab influence coming right. in and, yep, and has, sure, yeah. been, has been here. It's funny. Cause I used to go to those festivals when I was much younger and, uh, before they were a, a large production company. And it, it's kind of hilarious to see how that's taken over the vernacular of design, at least in West coast festivals. Yes. I was like, oh my God, everything looks like Doolab. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, I guess as a designer, I mean, we all find places for influence and for uh, just anything to kind of stimulate and push out ideas. And, you know, sometimes a designer might take things a little too literally. Uh, Doolab is a really talented group of human beings and good yeah. people and their designs are, are always top notch. And yeah, I can see why other designers see that and all of a sudden, like, you know, the seed's been planted and they go, yeah. oh, it miraculously, it looks just like a doolab design. I wonder how that happened. Well, it's, 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 a, it's an influence, you know, and styles, styles, it's just like clothing or whatever, you know, any yep. style, it just, it, it fluctuates and there's different designers who come in and they influence the, like the, the predominant culture at, at whatever time, you know, and we all take influence from each other. You of know? course it's, we do. That's that's the whole point, you know. It's like you're looking at a design. You're like, damn, that's fucking cool. That's I bet cool. I could use this in in my design. Well, the like, trick is right to not just totally plagiarize something, but to like, of course, be yeah. influenced and have an idea, an an idea that you can take a seed and start something else. Like yeah. You, go, you know what the geom? I like. I was really impressed with the geometry of of how you know some intersecting lines and the way they pushed and pulled you know, some of the extrusions and, you know, whatever else they're working on. And I have an idea to kind of take that little piece and start from that. And I'm going to make it my own. You do something like that and you take ideas and you develop them, but don't just kind of straight up. You know, there was like an instance where I think, I think it was Dead Mouse got ripped off a couple of years ago and that like sent a ripple through, through the industry real quick because, uh, Joel Zimmerman was not pleased about it. And he was like tweeting and he was like, dude, I spent millions of dollars on design and you just kind of. Well, here, here's it. the thing. Here's the thing. Whoever did that, that secondary design, yeah. they will never be recognized as a premier designer because if you're ripping off, if you're blatantly ripping off somebody else's work, then it's for me anyway, it would be hard to see how they would be respected in the industry at large. And yeah. in the end, man, it's like the jobs that you get, they come to you because somebody sees your work and they're like, wow, that's cool. I've never seen that before. I want that design brain to come up with something for whatever I'm right. building, you know? Right. Yeah, man. And I think that's that's how you become successful. And that's I think that's how, that's how you designer. become successful also, right? I mean, we're designers. I mean, that's what we do. We express ourselves creatively. And, yeah. uh, and we hope that our clients, our friends, our colleagues, you know, peers, whoever, um, mm. looks at it and we can stir some sort of response, good, bad, or otherwise, hopefully good. But like, I know that like you were telling me about a chandelier that you were working on. I'm anticipating that every time people walk past that, that it's going to create some sort of response. They're not just, they're not oblivious to it. They're going to see no, it and hopefully it will stimulate something, even if it's subconsciously, like just make me feel something like yeah. make me feel excited, scare the shit out of me, run me over with the train or just like, you know, embrace me in your light. You know, obviously that was really lame, but um, you no, understand no, no, what I'm I get saying. It. I, I, just, I totally get what you're saying, man. And it's it, lighting design is funny because lighting design is, is such an abstract form of, uh, of art. You know what I mean? It's, it's not contextual at all. And you remember back in the day I was working with Velo and I was very much into like the visual, like video art. Yeah. That is such a contextual art form. But um, I actually like lighting a lot more because I like how you're really telling a story through um, by setting vibe and setting like right. conveying emotion, you know, and it's, it's all about like the motion of the light and the colors, how they make you feel and, and reacting to changes in the music or, or right. if you're doing a permanent piece, it's just like, what's the environment you're creating? Well, I think there's also something to be said for having an understanding of what it takes to put a design together whilst 
uh, being a graphic designer is a fantastic trade and it takes, mm. there's a lot of skills involved in that. You're creating artwork on the screen through your software and such uh, that you can display onto a mechanical device. Whereas as a stage designer, lighting designer, production designer, you know, all of those things, scenic elements, you have to draw the pretty picture and that pretty picture has to be built. Yeah. So you can make a cool graphic that you're going to put on screen. I don't have to build that. It's, right. it's whatever it is, whether it's kinetic or static or whatever it may be. It's just you're going to portray that through a pixel map and you're going to put that on the screen. When we do a design, like if I can't build it or I've done something that's not possible or, you know, too expensive or resources are not available, you know, that's on me as a designer to not, you know, that that's, you know, a deficiency, an area that needs improvement or an area where I've just straight up failed my client. Right? Yeah. So well, you be there's a level of engineering that yeah. needs to come into the, you know, design meets art meets engineering and need to make all that fit. And if you so can't were do you that, an engineer you can't have first? success. Were you, no, a, were you a, I have a degree in history. <laughs> That's but awesome. I, you know what? I'm a, I'm a very mathematical brain thinker, you know, pragmatic, logical, A to B linear kind of human being obsessive. I mean, clearly you are an engineer, even if you didn't go to school for it, man. Like we, I didn't go to school for engineering either, right. but I'm definitely an engineer. And it's like to do lighting design. You're absolutely right. It's like the name of the game is designing things that are physically possible. I have a lot of that. engineering experience and, you know, I like to, you know, use the cliche. I'm smart enough to just smart enough to be dangerous, um, <laughs> but not enough to where I could ever take an engineering job. Um, but I'm not going to give you a drawing that an engineer is going to look at and go, are you out of your mind? Uh, this is not possible. So I'm going to give mm -hmm. the drawings and go, here's how we would do it. And they're going to go, yes, or maybe we make some modifications, but not like you're so obtuse from where it should be that it just doesn't work. So familiar with engineering. And that's only because, you know, I've got, excuse me, I've got, you know, nearly 30 years under my belt of doing this. And yeah. so you just, Every time you do a job, even today, like even on calls today for design work that we're doing, you know, new understandings and perspectives, you know, you're always yeah. kind of growing and adding to your toolbox of yeah. what's available to express yourself creatively and, you know, also being uh, efficient, right? The engineering creates efficiencies also. So you, you can probably wire things, you know, a multitude of ways, but there's really one most efficient way and sure. then a hundred ways that are just a fucking mess. Yeah, of course. Of course. And experience dictates, uh, informs how you create your designs. It helps. So, for does, sure. so does the technology though. You know, it's, it's funny how like the technology uh, creates opportunities for the designer and then the designer creates like mandates for the art, the, the technology developer. Right. So it's like right. this ever evolving thing where one leads into the next leads into the next but how and often do you as a designer allow technology to steer or does it the idea first and then technology supports that's a good question um and honestly i think it's it's for us it's probably it's probably half and half like the design inevitably steers the ship right we we get a mandate you know and it's like somebody comes to us and they're like you know we're envisioning a waterfall in our lobby like, how can we express that and then uh, it's it's like you turn to your toolbox and you say what tools do i have and how would i paint the a waterfall first yeah of course right so it's always the design idea and aesthetic and philosophy first and then you back in the technology to support it Correct. Yeah. Right. And I think that's, so that's not 50, 50. That's design followed by technology. Okay. Yes. I agree with that. Right. I agree with that hundred percent. You do see a lot of, uh, like engineering, engineering type artists who, uh, who do it the other way around and and you can tell in their work, you know, it's like, it's like when movies are just flashbang movies and they're just, right doing a special effect to do a special effect versus when a movie has something to say. Right. And they're using the special effects to complement that message. Right. To me, that feels forced. Yeah. Right? Oh, absolutely. It's like absolutely. your idea, like you forced an idea in, hold on, let me turn my computer battery to power mode. 
Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Now. Um, it was getting warm. I was like, wait a minute. Am I in high performance mode? Yep, I am. Dialed it. Um, <laughs> you know, those ideas always to me feel forced. Like you always want to support the idea, support the concept, not the other way around. Like, you know, as a lighting designer, you go, oh, wow, there's this new light out. I need to figure out how to use it. While, yeah. yes, but no. What you want to do right. is you want to still have kind of like the, the, the big moves, the big sweeps, the big look of what you're trying to do. And then if that fixture is available and it supports that, then you could put it in there. But I, you're never going, oh, the new you know, XYZ light, yeah, I need to use that. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do, but I need to use it. Well, I don't know if that, maybe that's the, you know, kind of the right procedure. Well, you can tell. You can tell when people uh, create their designs based on on the flashbang of a certain technology. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like uh, LED walls were a perfect example of that. Um, certain fixtures that you see come out, you're like, why are these things all over the stage? You know, like, right. yes, they're cool, but it's missing something. It's missing other elements, diversity. Um or, you know, that message, that like emotional message that's conveyed through efficient and, and correct use of tools. Right. Yeah. So when you do a stage, are you working off of the concept? Do you receive the concept from a client? Do you, does the client just come up to you typically and say, Steven, we want a stage. And you're just like, okay, I'm going to figure out what the, like what the, the theme of this is or. Right. Because for us, generally, there there is no one right answer to this. I've had every scenario. Um, Yeah, I prefer some sort of direction. At a minimum, I need to know the musical genre. You know, uh, if there's writers that need to be supported, and do you want something scenic or do you want something production based? Because scenic tends to be exponentially more expensive. Also, I need to know what the dollar is that we're spending because I could quickly figure out you know, just based on the size and scope of your show, what you, you know, what you want your stage real estate to occupy, you know, where you need to be dollar wise, you know, and anywhere from a roof scaffold, scenic, self climber, whatever it needs to be, I can tell you exactly where the dollar is. So if your dollar doesn't match what you want, you know, if you're coming in and ordering, you know, lobster and champagne, but you got enough money for a two cheeseburger meal, you know, we have to have that conversation right away. Right. And that's, that's, it's funny because that's oftentimes, uh, that's the hardest thing to tease out of a client. And that is one of the first design criteria that you need to start to just to create a design, right. Is like, what, what is the range we're working in here? Because that informs everything, uh, the, the technology, the scope, um, the, the, the vision, you know, everything. Right. I I, I think rookie design, not rookie designers, like rookie promoters and producers, they're always hesitant to give the number just because mm. they don't know. And maybe they think like if they say the number, then all of a sudden they're locked in. But you, you really do need to commit to something because, you know, I could put in, you know, just from a commodity standpoint, I could put in a hundred lights at 200 bucks a piece, 20 grand, or I could put in 500 lights at 200 bucks a piece, right? hundred grand, yeah. you know, right. are we at 20 grand or are we at hundred grand? You know, tell me which one it is. And then yeah, we're going to figure the- out what's going on then you can do a stage plot. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I like getting a direction of some kind, um, before, before we start as well, but it's, it's nice. And we're getting more and more opportunity to do, uh, more of the creative end. So we're, it's, it's becoming more of a partnership and it's, it's so nice. You know? Right. Um, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's interesting when it comes to permanent installations too, because they're so uh, thematic. You know, I was looking at your right. your your nightclub designs, and uh, there's a lot of sculptural elements in there. I'm wondering, do you design those, or do those? Sometimes do you work with the architects. I work. You know, when you do uh, permanent installations, you're never alone. You know, so yeah. in in the production world, you know, we might be left to our own devices. Like, hey, here's your land. You know, here's the real estate on the festival site. And here's how much money we have to spend. And they give you those two pieces of the puzzle. And then you, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have a client that has faith in your abilities, they let you spread your wings and deliver a system, you document it, you support it, you build it. But when you do permanent installation, 
uh, you are just one piece of the puzzle. Um, yeah. Even if you're doing all the, you know, on that side, it's just called AV. You know, whether it's lighting, video, audio, whatever it is, it's it's all part of the AV package. So yeah. if you're part of the AV package for a nightclub, you're like three tiers down. You know, you have the owner, you have the landlord, you have the, the owner, you have the interior designer, then you have the architect, then you have all of the sub-consultants under there. You know, lighting designer, audio consultants, furniture, kitchen designer, electrical engineer, structural engineer, MEP, which stands for mechanical, electrical, plumbing, um, and and everything in, everything in between. And everybody's got an opinion. So mm-hmm. then the architect is the coordinating, kind of the coordinating entity that guides all the consultants. So we're given background drawings that are provide, you know, interior designer submits to the architect. Then you have background, let's say AutoCAD documents. Then the AutoCAD drawings, the base files are given to all the sub-consultants for us to design on, not just AV. So like we'll do lighting, video, special effects, things like that. But the HVAC guys who are designing the air conditioning is laid out. And then the architect has to take that and overlay them and make sure there's no conflict. And it's it's an overwhelming it's an overwhelming, complicated procedure that you need to go through. And so once you have you know an understanding of how that works, I actually really enjoy it because I like procedures in general. Like I just yeah. you know, it's just kind of like the way I work mentally. So mm-hmm. going through all of that makes sense to me. When you're doing a stage in a field, it's a lot more free form because there's nothing yeah. to get in the way. And to but be you honest, said there's no liability there. I mean, minimum. Mm. Like, let's yeah. say, for instance, you design a, a show in, the, in, the, in a field and you have your original design. We're just going to use easy numbers. You have 100 lights. doesn't matter where they are. It's kind of irrelevant. You have 100 lights. And now the owner goes or the promoter goes, you know, I want to add a little piece of stage right here. And maybe put like another dozen fixtures on that. Can you do that? And you go, yeah, I think I, I think uh, our staging company has some deck. Bring the deck over. And the lighting company, you know what? Um, we have a whole, they brought like a whole truck full of stuff. I don't know why they brought extras, but they brought them. Yeah, here's 24 more lights. You drop some cable down, you plug it in. You go yeah. to a permanent installation. And after your 100% construction drawings are done and walls are getting closed up, you go, hey, you know what? I'd actually like to add 12 lights over there. Yeah. If it's possible, the impact financially will be tremendous. Right. You know, and especially if you're it. in Las Vegas. They, the owners still do it. They're like, Maybe. They're like Maybe. halfway through construction, they're like, ah, you know, no, let's change it up. It's we like, did a club. Right, you know, here's a good example of just a minor change and what it costs. We did a club at the Venetian, um, I don't remember how many years ago it was, six or seven years ago. It was, it was called uh the box but it wasn't the box they called it something else because they couldn't call it the box but the box is a pretty well-known kind of very voyeuristic nightclub in based in london and new york and they opened up one at the venetian we had an issue we had an led fixture like a strip that was lighting some it was a graze for some wall feature and Mm -hmm. the manufacturer's specifications said like uh said that it wasn't voltage switching that it was 120 volts instead of 208 or something like that. The short story is we had to change once one circuit from 120 to 208 or vice versa. I got charged $2,500 for that. Oh, sure, man. On a, bill, on a bill back. They literally was switching wires and replacing yeah. a breaker and a receptacle. Right. Twenty five. Right. Well, that's, that's a union labor, man. That's a union uh, electrician. Welcome right to there. installations. Where do you think these big jobs are happening? Oh, you know? I know. I know. Like, did you yeah, see, we're dealing with that right now, actually, in a, the installation we're working on. And it's like, don't touch anything. Don't this touch is hands it. off. Right. No, don't touch it. Did you see that uh, Resort World in Las Vegas, which is a new property that's opening up, owned by uh, Genting Group out of uh, Malaysia, I believe. Uh, they just mm-hmm. put up the biggest LED wall on the strip, like 100,000 yeah. square feet of LED surface on their building. fucking nuts. Nuts. Yeah, that's crazy. Yes, I was looking at video. I'm actually going to Vegas tomorrow for some meetings, and uh, I'm going to go take a look at that at night because I want to see it. Yeah, better bring your sunglasses. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Put on some sunblock. Yeah, it'll blow my hair away. <laughs> oh, man. Jesus. Yeah. I got to get a haircut. It's I, fucking quarantine, man. I'm not empathetic. Sorry. No understanding. <laughs> no, I don't it's get quarantine it. I, I have to shave. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs>
my son has like a, a bouffant, you know, his yeah, hair yeah. goes there and you know, my wife and daughter, you know, it's ladies are a little man, more manageable when a man's hair gets out of control. Literally my, my son's oh, head looks like, like a mop on his head. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I've been having people just shave around the sides and just like shave right. all around the sides. The tops just growing longer and longer. You know, it's going to become a problem at some point. My, my, my style is I have my own clippers. I don't go to the barber. It's been many, many a year since. And so it's, it's, it's it when it gets a little, whatever pops out, you know, just gets trimmed off. Hey man, that's a sim- that's simple. At it's least like there's one no major scars. You know, my head is relatively symmetrical. You know, there's <laughs> nothing, nothing really weird. I haven't been hit real hard to where it's made a dent in my head so yeah i'm trust good. man trust trust will leave a dent <laughs> yeah no i've seen some guys are like thank god you're not bald because i mean the whole thing it looks like a fucked up eggplant that's been sitting in the ground too long <laughs> yeah yeah it's true man it's true so is that your next thing are you going down to vegas and uh, doing it installed down there uh we have a couple jobs going on in vegas right now um so uh we're working on that we have a big job in Puerto Rico uh, that is uh, I'm going to to program and a job in Philly. So uh, right now there's some travel coming up again, which is good and bad. Good because we need to work. Bad because I don't really want to get on an airplane and sit with people, but I'm going to yeah. do it. I'm going to put my yeah. mask on, my hazmat suit, and yep. my sanitizer, yep. and you know, deal yep. with it. Yep. Now, do you program all of those? Do you do all your own programming or do you have like, who's in SJ lighting? Is it like a team of you and some engineers and some artists and like whatever? It's it's me and my wife own the company. And I do all things design and directly billing related to business items like Mm -hmm. vendors and staffing and things like that. And then my wife handles all things human resources. Mm -hmm. So the employees manages their um, their time off and any anything else that's related to them deals with accountants, attorneys, and uh, insurance brokers, rent, you know, business bills, and then I have three full time employees. That's cool. What what right. kind of roles do they play? Um, so I have one of our guys is he's fairly specific to event design. So mm. he's got Vectorworks. You know, I've got a Vectorworks license on his stuff. Uh, proficient at MA programming, WYSIWYG, and all things special event production related. And those are kind of your weapons of choice, right? You've got- For that, got, uh, for that world. Yeah, and I've, I saw your, your, your renderings. They looked like, uh, like WYSIWYG. That's actually cinema, cinema 4D. Oh, it is? Yeah, that's all nice. cinema. That's great, man. Can't you, yeah. uh, can't you go back and forth you can. between them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. I need, oh, I, between I need WYSIWYG and cinema? I don't, yeah. I don't know if you could do WYSIWYG in cinema. No, we use a plug-in for, for cinema called Stage, uh, which actually okay. has all the lighting fixtures in it with yeah. all the IES and photometric data, which yeah. is really cool. So they spent a lot of time. You know, while you can't really program in cinema, which is unfortunate, the photometric and, and volumetric effects that you can get out of cinema as opposed to WYSIWYG, like WYSIWYG to oh, me yeah. is kind of an advanced cartoon. Right. Whereas Cinema 4D, people look at the cinema renders and they go, when was that show? I go, it, it wasn't. It's not for a month. Right. They go, really? Yeah. And then they look again, they go, no shit. But we also have plugins. Like I've got plugins of people who can dance, who can move, like all sorts of like, you know, animated effects generators that we can add to, to these things. Because we do video renders and stills. But you can't control the fixtures with it. That's the only thing can, with the lighting console. Not DMX. Yeah, yeah. Not in cinema. So when the pandemic hit, actually, you know, I had my whole, I shifted my whole office into grasping Unreal Engine. So now, you know, I've maxed out the Unreal Engine DMX plugin. There's some guys that that have their own plugin that they've made that works a little bit better. Um, But on Unreal, I can do eight Artnet universes maxed out. And I've had three NDI inputs and where you can manipulate and move around the show file. Would I ever take that out as my previs? Not not the proprietary UE stuff. That it's a gaming engine. It's cool. I think. Um, what do you use it for? What What do you use Unreal for? Um, I like using Unreal because now I can take the environments that we built because all of our stuff is modeled and in three D, and we yeah. can compile it either into a game platform so that I can give it to you on your desktop and you can navigate through the whole space. 
or mm-hmm. I can put it into like an Oculus and you can navigate through, you know, with your remotes and, and walk through it. So, so I could, that's how we sold one of our last projects yeah. is with an unreal uh, mock-up of the, the installation. And we we're just like, look, man, just put on this headset, walk around. This is what we want to build. And he was like, oh yeah, let's do it. <laughs> this right. is good. You know? Yeah, it's and great. It's, it's uh, a great way for a client to really understand because, you know, as a designer, you know, we have, we have construction drawings, which have to be developed because you need to build the thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So that goes to the contractors, to the to the boots on the ground, the people in the field who are actually going to be putting this thing together. Right. Then you have uh, perspective, kind of hidden line, shaded views. Right. To actually show what the model looks like. Then you have renders, which are skinned and material, photometric, volumetric, you know, all of those things. And then you have true 3D, which is. You know, we can do that either with WYSIWYG, but you're not going to give somebody a WYSIWYG file and move a camera around. No, you know, no. Um, the only really tool that's available now, if you want to use this stuff, is Unreal, especially because yeah. it's a it's a free, you know, it's free most of the time. It's a free engine. It's a free engine until you start putting it. The thing is with Unreal, um, anything you do in Unreal is theirs. They're not really? in the business of that. they're not in the business of taking it from you. But if you're using yeah. their free engine, it's theirs. I didn't so know. So intellectual I mean, property, sense. you know, you're right. If you're writing plugins and other things like that for Unreal, and you're using it Unreal, uh, you might want to talk to your lawyer. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, man. I think gaming engines are definitely the future of uh, servers. Like the server world for us, we're using a a 3D engine to do volumetric pixel mapping. Right. So to be able to run 3D effects through like three-dimensional arrangements of LEDs. Right. And uh, and that's working out great, man. It's it's cool because there's not a whole lot of tools that will let you do that. Right. Um, and how's the frame rate? The frame rate's great. We get up 50, 60 frames per oh, second. Wow. Yeah, amazing. With, through Artnet, through Artnet, pushing it over Artnet. Right, okay. But so, you're sending it unicast, right? You're not just blasting the shit out of a network. No, 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 no. It's right. unicast. It's, it's controlled, specific lines. Yep. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that's the other thing with Unreal. Is Unreal right now, if you use their if you use their plugin, is only broadcast. So that's that's a problem also because it's just fucking data just smashing into the wall. Listen, man, I gotta show you the software that we use because we're working directly with the developers and it's it's a 3D environment. You can bring in your models from whatever software you're using to generate them, and then you can do your volumetric pixel mapping within it. I'd and you can do hundred, hundreds of thousands of pixels. You know, yeah. it's 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 amazing. Let's dig in. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, man, absolutely. It's uh, do you do the server programming on your end, or do you have other groups come in to do? It the... depends on what server. Um, we've been using Hippo a lot, so we have a pretty good grasp for Hippo. If I need to go Gosh. outside of that, and I need to bring somebody else in. We do that. Yeah. You know, obviously, you know, we own a bunch of licenses of Resolume, but that's just. DJ software. There's not, there's not much to that. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, you could do a lot with with Resolume. You could do a lot with Hippo. Of course. Um, I think like the the uh, what the fuck is it called now? It's not D3. I can never remember this. It's delicate or disguise. Uh, yeah, disguise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they get so mad at me when I call it D3. They're like, that's not what we're called. They're, they're like, yeah, server. Yeah, you in- are. You'll always be D3, pal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, their server is amazing. It just it does not do individual pixels. So for, for us, right, where we're dealing with mostly LED pixels, sometimes right. we're dealing with video and projection, but almost always we're, we're sending our output over a network card. It's like we had to come up with our own tool. Like I, right. I, when we were trying to figure out like, all right, how are we going to do these volumetric installations? It was like, well, D3 is great. It's a great engine, but they're too big to have me as an individual user come up to them and be like, hey, you know, this you feature is like, this. Yeah, right, it's yeah. Like, no, they're, they're making their millions doing other things, which is great. Um, so that's why we the software that we're using is is. Uh, well, I'd love to check it out right now for our LED installations. Uh, we've been using ELM, uh, which is the Entech LED <laughs> yeah, mapper, yeah. and uh, it, I love it good. actually. It doesn't do 3D very well. It doesn't do 3D very well. However, what it does do very well is you can. It does organic shapes, so you're not yeah, locked into a grid. Yep. of xyz coordinates i yep. can actually bring in a background of a design 
and I could pull the pixels and stretch them over that design 100% accurate as to where they need to go. And then what you can do is you can have multiple layouts that you can basically run as their own fixture and I can run them on top of each other. So I can do one, one, you know, ortho, you know, orthographic, ortho, orthographic layout. I can do a parallel layout. I can do a perspective layout and stretch it. And then I could lay them all on top of each other. So I can cheat the 3d. So while it's not 3d where I'm dropping 3d objects, um, it's pretty advanced as far as being able to have the latitude to stretch your map around. So I, I, I know the guys who the developers of Elm and I know it's, I've, I've, yeah, yeah. I've used it a couple times, but I'm not, uh, I, I came into things through Madrix. So I approach right. things through that, that lens. And uh, I've worked with the Madrix developers extensively to try and get, to try and solve that I love that the Madrix problem. guys. Those are my yeah, boys. Too, I love them. They're some yeah. of the nicest human beings I know in the industry. And yep. for a while, we were probably one of the, you know, the biggest users of Madrix. Yeah. And, but we, you know, when we come into these complex pixel layouts, I was feeling like the mapping was really getting kind of strangled out by that, it, it, by the map, absolutely. By, by the map constraints of Madrix. So, so here's how we, we, we solved that problem for ourselves, right? We, uh, we started doing the, the pixel layout in, in Rhino, Rhino 3D. Okay. And then we export those as, uh, as um, basically spreadsheet files. Right, CSV right. files, yep. and then we import that into Madrix, and that gives you the ability to to specify pixel location based on, you know. A, so is a that CSV what you're file. using right now? Is Madrix? No, we're using Smode. Smode is the. It's I've heard a, of that. Yeah. Yeah. So we use Smode. I also use Madrix for right. more simple pixel layouts, but right. Smode is is the heavy hitter. It is the the for us. It is the way forward into. A, a truly 3D environment. Where are those developers but, based? In France. Okay. They're, they're right. in Paris. Right. But th- we fly them out to do a lot of our advanced programming. So when right. we do an advanced design, you know, they've they've got a guy. He's a, he's the traveling guy. We just fly him over, right. man. Yeah, Vincent. Great. That's great. Worth every penny. <laughs> Absolutely. You got he's a couple a, hundred a, thousand pixels. Uh, you know, you really want to. S- run into a wall multiple times or bring the guy in who really knows what he's doing oh yeah no 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 matter what go crazy he's also just a hilarious guy to be around he he's he carries around a world war one pocket watch right (laughs) and he refuses to use a a smartphone so he's got like the flip phone um and it's it's something to do with privacy and and relying on whatever it is he's he's an off-the-grid guy He's an off the grid guy, but he's a media server programmer. Right. <laughs> like, bro. Who doesn't want to be on the grid? I know. Have you watched that, that show on Netflix called Money Heist? No. It's a, uh, it's a Spanish show, so it's all subtitled in English. So it's yep. all in Spanish. And, uh, you know, so it's about this group of people who go in and they basically rob, like, the, the national treasury. It, mm-hmm. It's crazy. And how they, basically swing the, the public opinion over to loving them. But yeah. what they're doing when they communicate is they're taking like old school flip phones and they're like putting them together so that there's no GPS tracking and, you know, there's no yeah, text yeah. messaging on these things. It's literally like, you know, a Motorola StarTac from like 1994. Hey man, if you're a criminal, this is like the hardest era to, to like, to be a criminal. And it's like, how the hell you can't you leave your house. house. They, I mean, no. between everybody's Nest camera and security cameras and stop the fucking cameras. doorbell things, Amazon's yeah, doorbell things. What? What about what? Is, what do you think? Nobody has access to this thing right here. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure they do, man. This thing That's right the, here. Fr- freaking. Uh, they know we're name? talking. They know. Yeah, Black, Black Mirror, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a wired world. So one of the things we're working on now is kind of crazy. Is uh. It's an Internet of Things operating system, right? It's okay. a lot of the work that we do is just like control data and like managing control systems. So we're working with this open source um, software that allows you to like create 
like complex behaviors between different IoT devices. And it's fucking crazy, man, because like a building is basically like this weird living organism with all these like tentacles. You know, you've got sensors all over the place. Yeah. You've got you've got smart lights and door locks and 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 cameras and you know the everything is networked. And yeah, it's like it sure is. You, you need some software, some piece of software to like coordinate those behaviors. Just like right. a lighting just like a lighting system. Yeah, of course. But it's just like you know, you got yeah, you got door doorknobs and fucking overhead light dimmers and, and whatever. Crestron steroids. Basically, yeah, man, yeah. Basically. Crestron is so locked down though. Yeah, you need to be a certified Crestron programmer and it's like I so I think like I, I don't know anybody I don't put those in anymore. So I've I've never used Crestron personally. I've definitely worked on a number of projects that use Crestron and I've definitely taken control data from Crestron. Right. You know, it's like if you're if you're going into a residential or or a high-end commercial installation, being able to take cues or tap into the 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 occupancy sensors from a Crestron system is great. Right. Like this thing that we're doing in the British Virgin Islands, we've got access to all their occupancy sensors. So when people walk into a room, we know to to it affects the the, the looks that we're we're building. Right. It's great. Yeah. That's awesome. That's another thing Smode is great with, man, is, is taking control data from other sources. You can, take, you can pull data from anywhere, right. any, any, anywhere, whether it's like, a, like an API, like a website or something, you know, like Twitter feeds is or whatever. Is that just a license you buy online from these guys? Yeah, it is. It's a license. They're starting to sell hardware now, too. They're encouraging. Like, we're a reseller now um, just because it makes sense. And uh, right. they're like, you've got to start pushing our hardware. I'm like... Uh, you know, I'll push, I'll push your, your super expensive servers if it makes sense for the project. Right. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's very flexible, which is nice. Right. Cool. Yeah. yeah we also, should spend a little time. I'd love to see it. Yeah. I'll give you a demo, man. It's, it's where are you, cool stuff. Where are you living now? I'm in Berkeley. I'm okay. Berkeley, California. Cool. Yeah. After, after I quit touring, I moved here and I just never left. I'm right. Like, oh man, this is it's nice. I, right you on. Know, fly wherever you need. And then you work at, and you work out of the house or you keep an office or. No, we got an office. Right. We got a little studio. It's like an office slash art gallery, and there's a couple of different groups that we're all light in the. We're all in the same industry, kind of. Like there's a, there's right. an electrical engineering firm that's here. There's a there's a content design firm that's here, and there's you know digital ambience, which is kind of like you know lighting installations. But we all work. On My the screen project. just went dim, so let me go. I'm gonna just relocate. And go into yeah. the house to where I can yeah, plug back way. into my power supply. Man, that's what. Man, I feel like we're getting a tour of your house right now. It's great. It's a nice backyard. Thank you. Yeah, my wife uh, put a lot of time into getting that thing in shape the way she wanted it. Okay, now I'm on the couch. Ah, there you go, man. It's the the proper place, the proper yeah. place for for interview. My location. Yeah. So, is there any news on when when you guys are doing festivals again? No one knows, huh? Well, it's kind of like. No, nobody knows. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, there's some there's some shows that are now uh, going on in Europe again. Mm -hmm. uh, but as uh, U.S. citizens, that's not for us. I know, we, man. We can't go. That's so. So fucked. Everything like, changes. Uh, it seems, seems like things are changing by the minute. Um, Insomniac hasn't said one way or the other whether or not they're going to move forward in October, and and that's got a lot to do with you know right now. There's this you know things are getting rolled back back to phase one. I mean, you live in California, you know what it's like. You know, we I have know. the same governor, interesting yeah. individual. So yeah, yeah, he's shutting things down except for the county where his wine, you know. Which his wine reserve is, uh, but everything is else it? is shut I, down. Yeah, yeah. I know that. Yeah. yeah. Well, there he, you go. Yeah, he's man. got a winery in Napa. <laughs> you know that that hasn't been shut down. Um, but yeah, no politics. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but you know, California's tough right now. Uh, EDC being in Las Vegas, uh, they need the Nevada governor on board. You you know you can't do a large format show right now just because you think it's a great idea and because sure. you want to. Like if the if the government is not down and the governor of your state basically doesn't say cool, it's not happening. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, all of yeah. those those festivals are so. Um, it seems like they're so political to begin with. It's like you need to be grease and palms, man. You know, it's right. like how do you throw freaking ultra? You know, it's like tell me that has nothing to do with the, you know, the, the city well, that of whole, Miami. That whole scenario down there, what went down with them getting tossed out of Bayfront Park and then getting right? back in and kicking another event out of where they went in the Keys, <laughs> like that is so fucking corrupt. It's insane. It and really like, is, I watched, you know, their hearing because it was public, a public hearing and it was mm-hmm. televised. I mean, yeah. that was the greasiest, slimiest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, like yeah. those politicians, I'm sorry, they were getting, people were getting paid. Oh, yeah. Pe- you don't it's talk because like it's so You don't talk it's like so that. It's so transparent. It's so blatant. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, this is a. This is amazing. How is the governor not coming down and raining hellfire on them right now for this nonsense? But whatever. Not my problem. I'm not in politics. I'm in design. Who is the guy who uh, – oh, the hell was the guy's name who, who was kind of like the founder of Winter Music Conference? Do you remember him? It wasn't Bruce. Bruce was the marketing guy for You're WMC. talking about Bruce Braxton? Yeah. No, Bruce Braxton, uh, he was actually part of Ultra. Who's the – what was the guy's name? No, it just slipped my mind. Now I'm going to have to Google it. Um, right. There's like all these characters. I remember them from uh, at least – The founder of the conference or the original founder of Ultra? Original founder of Ultra. Alex Ohms. Alex Ohms. Yeah, that's right, man. He died. Are you serious? Yeah, he died. Um, you know, they booted him out. And then there was a lawsuit and a legal battle. I remember. Th- I remember a legal that. battle for years. And he actually yeah. died. The night before his trial started. Well, that's fucking suspicious. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, man, those are names I haven't heard in like yeah. ten years. Yeah, he was my boy. Years. He was a, he was a good guy. Um, it was unfortunate. Yeah. When did that happen? Was that back in like? That had to be six or seven years ago. Okay, I thought it was like twenty ten or I remember hearing Maybe. about that. When yeah. did Alex Holmes die? What a January name. 12, 2015. Wow. Yeah. That's more recent than I thought. I thought it was like back in yeah. 2010, well, 2012. He was out already for a couple of years, but yeah. unfortunately, uh, he perished on that day. Yeah. Yeah, that is sad. Yeah. Well... So no festivals this year. Burning Man's canceled, obviously. Yep. I think uh, LDI. That's like my other Burning Man. That's LDI, like my professional right? Burning Man. <laughs> LDI is probably virtual. We've been doing all these yeah. like virtual talks and like virtual conferences and stuff. Yeah, I've, like, done a, I've done a few of these. I mean, I think with you, this is probably my fourth or fifth, you know, video podcast. Just kind of shooting the shit and seeing what's going on. You know, this yeah. one's a little bit more refreshing because it's a little bit more loose and lighthearted and nothing like not like an attack of questions so i've enjoyed this good man i'm glad yeah this is how we try and do it you know i I like i like these conversations i'm doing this for me right (laughs) me and the the, you know whoever i'm talking to so right so what are you doing so you're publishing the podcast and people come in and listen to it and they can just download it whenever they want or you just put it out (laughs) once no, no, no. It's on iTunes. You know, it's right. like you can subscribe to the, the podcast and people can download it. And like, you know, just however people get podcasts, it's like right. SoundCloud, um, Spotify, iTunes, some other ones. Cool. I got a, I got a, a friend who's doing all the, the, you know, the logistics of it and everything. So do you listen was, to a lot of other podcasts yourself? I do, man. I love podcasts. I really do. I feel like it's, Podcasting is one of the only forms of a long form conversation that that is, that people are having today. You know, it's like right. reading articles. It's just kind of like you breeze through them, and and the news. It's like forget the news, man. No one talks for more than like five minutes, and right. nothing substantive. So you know, if if you're interested in a in a topic, um, right, the only place where people are actually conversing about these things are, are in in podcasts, okay. which is nice. It's just like listen to it on my drives, listen to it when I travel, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All that talking probably helps you go to sleep too. Put it on when you tie, you know, when you can't fall asleep and sleep yeah, out. yeah. You know, I don't do that. I'm not actually like I can't sleep if there's anything contextual happening. I'm one of those guys who has to listen to like white noise. Right. <laughs> I like put on a white noise generator, a fan, and I'm. I out. have one of those apps on my phone, 
And uh, yeah. partly because I have pretty bad uh, tinnitus, tinnitus, whatever, depends who you ask you? how you pronounce it. Yeah. I mean, I've spent a uh, lifetime of working in high decibel environments. So yeah. the ringing in my ears is constant. I'm used to it. Uh, you know, it's like, yeah. it's a little bit depressing. Uh, but at yeah. night when it's super quiet is when it's at its peak. So yeah. I usually keep the television on. Just background noise for me is really yeah. helpful. And man, you if, should talk to a doctor about uh, they're doing stuff with stem cells with with vision, and I, I think that they're doing it with with hearing as well. Should uh, talk talk to somebody about that because I know that it's, with stem it's, cells. It's, yeah, dude, it's starting to happen. Like they're starting to be like learn how to read. I've got somebody nerves. to talk to about that. Actually, I'm gonna text yeah. him when we get off the phone. Yeah, just be like, hey, what's the what's the current science? Because it's changing so fast, man. It's right. fucking crazy. It's gone. It's bonkers. So what else is happening? Like, what what are you you are mountain biking? You hiking? Like, you getting out of you getting out? You doing shit? Yeah, dude, I'm I'm doing a lot of climbing. I've, I've been doing a lot of climbing, and I've been uh, especially during the lockdown. I've been um, using that time to just focus on on being uh, just doing things outdoors, getting healthy. And it's right, nice, so you're not climbing you know? at an indoor shop. You're going. No, no. Are, no. They, are they good spots by you? Yeah, there are. And then um, down in, like, up in Tahoe, the Tahoe area. Right. Um, you know, there's definitely places around. They're not right around here, but they're pretty close. And uh, I've got a big friend group that's also into climbing. Like just straight climbing, man. or are you bouldering also? Just straight. I mean, bouldering too. But I personally am much more into rope climbing. I think that right. bouldering is a lot more dangerous because you're not attached. So I've, I've definitely seen a lot of people, you know, climbing is higher, but you're on a rope. You what's know? the guy's like, name that they did the movie on who did the free climb? Oh, uh, fuck. What's his name? It's like Alex something, something. Did yeah, you watch yeah. that movie? I did, man. He's, intense. he's nuts. Yeah, he's, he's crazy. crazy. He is crazy. They actually did a brain scan on him and it turns out that he, his response to like, like fear, his fear responses are, are muted somehow. Like his brain works differently. Yeah. yeah. He could have either been who he is now, like this amazing rock climber with no fear or a fucking sociopathic, sociopathic like mass murderer. Cause he just doesn't, he, you know, if you watch, if you watch that movie, man, he kind of seems a little autistic, yeah. <laughs> like a little bit, you know, uh, it's, absolutely. Uh, his, no, so, his, no, little, the social skills are not there because that's not no, how his no. brain works. No, not interested but, you know, in I know a lot of, I know a lot of people who are, who are like that man, who are like savants. You just have, it's like the engineering mindset. You know, yep. how many engineers have you dealt with? Like really skilled programmers or engineers who are just like, all right, I have to like put on my, like, I have to speak this other language with you. You yep. know, it's not like, it's not like normal English, normal, like, and they're way too smart to even have a con. Like we're, we're relatively intelligent human beings. You talk yeah, to yeah. some of these guys and they talk to us like we're fucking idiots and, yeah. and they don't take no for an answer on like, you're absolutely wrong and they're absolutely right. I've spoken like top level and, guys who have written like the back end of Yahoo, right? Like yeah. geniuses. And then, but there's no it's a skill. It's a skill to learn how yeah. to work with them. Too. And you need those guys. You, need you do. Them, like, you just got to keep them away from your clients. It, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you gotta keep them away from I've, I've made that mistake. Sorry. About that. Dog fight. Dog fight. Dog Anytime fight. anybody comes near the house. Oh uh, yeah, well that's good. Man. You got an alarm. Yeah. Man, well, I think we should probably wrap it pretty soon. I think I the get dogs going were a good indicator. Yeah, that, yeah. that was that was the that was the cue. Like that was the cue. It's enough, Dad. Yeah, dude. Man, I can't wait to see you in person, man. Next time we're we hanging out, we should get a drink. If yeah, uh, I would love to. If things are less less locked down, let's go hang out. Let's get a drink, man. Yeah, I would love to. And uh, you know, I, I'll probably be up NorCal at some point in time sooner than later. Okay. So I'd love to show you the spot. Let's let's hang out. Yeah, I want to see that software. So let's set up a time. You know, c- tell me when your guy is going to be in from Paris. Maybe I'll maybe I'll fly up and come see you guys. He's going to be in all at all, all during August. All of August, he'll be in. Oh, for real. Yeah. Okay. What's the closest airport to you? Oakland. No, like that's the, is there a small one? Yeah, Oakland Airport is a. Or they have Reed a Hillview, or. Yeah, there's like a little like section of Oakland that uh. Okay. That that do private planes, so Perfect. you can get like yeah yeah book a little jet in and. No, I have a little. A I have trip. a little Piper. I'll just jump. Are you serious? In. Yeah. Oh my god, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, be there in two hours. Oh my god, Stephen, that's great. Yeah. 
I'll come up cool, see man. you. Dude, I'm so glad we got to talk. Yeah, this has been great. See you. Yeah, you look yeah. the same. Yeah, so do you, man. Yeah, except, yeah, I'm not. I'm fatter and older. Uh, whatever, you know, it's just, it happens, dude. All we good, all get older. Thanks all for right, having man. me. Of course. I'll let you know when we post. Okay, can't wait. All right, brother. Later, Take it bro. easy. Bye.